The cancer journey is unique for everyone. It's time to figure out our new normal, and there's no one-size-fits-all manual. Welcome to Unspoken Cancer Truths with Jen Cochran, because surviving is just the beginning. Welcome to Episode 79 of Unspoken Cancer Truths. I'm your host, Jen Cochran. Topic of grief is a challenging one. And what I think we don't always understand is that loss can occur in many ways, all of which have us processing grief or not processing it, which can become problematic and keep us stuck, stuck in a story, stuck in a place of loss or despair, and make it hard to accept the circumstances and move forward in a productive way. My guest today is here to talk about just that topic. I'd like to welcome Leslie Tolan to the show. She helps adults who are impacted by personal loss, whether current or past, to transform their pain into power and sometimes even transform it into purpose. Welcome, Leslie. Welcome, Leslie. I'm so happy to have you here today. We were chatting um, before we got started, and there's so many amazing components to talk about and what you specialize in. But the topic of grief and loss is so much wider, I think, than we really consider. Um, I would love to have you talk a little bit about, you had mentioned 42 types of grieving. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about what you do and a little bit about the different types of grieving, because I think that's something that people don't really consider. First, Jen, thank you so much for the honor of speaking with you today. It's so my pleasure. I am so uh, passionate about the work that I do, having come from personally such an inordinate amount of loss in my own lifetime. And so specializing with the particular educational program that I now teach, which is short-term and action-based and evidence-based, is such a honor and it is offered by the way in groups and uh, personally and i have a path where i work with my adult clients across country and internationally individually and virtually so that is the offer of my program the the beauty of the grief recovery method goes back to and just a moment of history about it the grief recovery method was founded by our beloved late founder, John James, about 45 years ago, because John and his then wife had their beautiful baby boy, and three days later, he died. And John was a Vietnam vet. He had a gruff exterior and an interior heart the size of the ocean, and he was devastated. He stood on a pier in Santa Monica and contemplated ending his life. He was so inconsolable about losing his boy. And he had a spiritual epiphany during which he was told to begin to write his feelings about his loss. And at that time, he had been three years sober with AA. And the beautiful spiritual principles of that 12-step program were already in his thinking and his feeling. And so he developed this action step program that is short-term, can be seven or eight weeks. And it teaches each client 
in an educational and action base. What I mean by action base is action steps, how to resolve and deal with our lost hopes and dreams and expectations about losing someone we love. When I many times will have an interactive lecture out in my community, I will ask a group, what do you think is the single most off-limits topic of conversation in Western culture? And many times, as you and I were sharing, they'll say, politics, divorce, death. No, it's grief. We don't know in Western fast-paced culture of ours how to openly and gracefully speak about loss, which is what we have grief about is our reaction to loss. And there aren't just the death or the divorce that are in line for grief. There are about 42 different kinds of loss. And some of them, I'm sure your listeners will relate to, some of them might even have what we call in our specialist group across the nation, those who teach like I do, the front of the hand and the back of the hand, even when we have something that's positive, like you marrying your husband, there's still the beauty of being together and there's still maybe missing being single. And so I always laugh with a group when I'm having this particular conversation and say, as a youthful senior woman, I've been with my husband now for 13 years and I was on my own for a decade plus before that. And there are times, Jen, when I miss that tiny little baby single condominium where because I don't cook, there were extra clothing in the shelves in the kitchen and shoes <laughs> stored in my oven that I never used. And that is my reality check. Okay. But I, and I love, love my husband. There's the front of the hand and the back of the hand. Even when we are having a happy circumstance happen, we still grieve any change of a familiar pattern of behavior. That is one of the definitions of grief that I learned from John James. And please forgive the zoo in the background. No worries. We have quite a zoo here as well. (laughs) I want to talk about some of the many possibilities of life experiences that can be grieving issues for all of us. When we lose, many of us, if we go back to time when we're little boys and girls, many times our first loss is a family pet. It's a family pet whom because our parents don't know what to do with our grief over losing this little cat or dog who slept beside us every night when we're two to maybe five years old and then died or was killed, we are absolutely forlorn. And maybe we had a parent who said, don't feel bad, Jen, stop your tears, meaning there's an intellectual response to an emotional experience, maybe because mom or dad had no teaching from their parents of how to process grief and tears were not allowed or a boy came from a militaristic father who taught him to dry his tears and if he's going to cry, go to his room and cry alone. And so we don't know what to do with that kind of loss when we're kids. And sometimes we have a parent who says, Jen, we're going to buy you another cat. We're going to buy you another dog. Do we want another animal when our heart is broken? No. And when they enforce that, do we ever bond with that new pet? No, because we haven't grieved 
what went before. So yes, all different kinds of losses. If we talk about masculine and feminine issues of loss, we can have losses as women, which we deeply grieve and sometimes don't talk about openly from wanting to have a baby and cannot. And they have infertility issues that are really painful. Or a woman who has a stillborn child or a woman who really, really wanted to have her baby naturally and had to have a C-section. These are really difficult issues for women to walk through and many times are not spoken about as grieving issues. And they are. The same, I think, holds true of like having a mastectomy. Yes, absolutely. Or a hysterectomy. Yes. People who are BRCA positive, that's something that it's really, um, I think there's a real struggle there. Yes. Or there can be a struggle with having the surgery and then needing to have reconstructive surgery, which does not pan out well. There are so many types of loss that we don't normally think of as grieving issues. We just don't. Or what about something positive like a papa saying to his family, I just received this incredible promotion. We're going to move next month to New York from LA. Uh, kids, you're going to have a bigger house. Daddy's going to have more money. We're going to have more freedom to go on adventures together. It's going to be fantastic. And the kids' faces, 8 and 12, are so forlorn. They can't even speak. They're leaving their friends. They're leaving the house they grew up in. They're leaving everything familiar to them. And grief, by John James' definitions, one of them is that the conflicting mass of emotions we feel when anything familiar changes. Or grief is a normal and natural reaction to loss of any kind. And yet in our fast-paced culture, how we handle grief and respond to it many times isn't normal. It's not natural and it's unhealthy. Yeah. Grief is reaching out for someone who's always been there for us, maybe an aunt who passed on. And when we want her to be there for us one more time, she's no longer there. Right. Or in an estrangement, grief's reaching out for someone we hoped would be there for us. And when we want him one more time to be present because we're having a terrible time, he's no longer there. Still not there. These are all definitions of grief that really changed my thinking to having a broader scope of understanding of what we walk through in our lifetime in grief and loss. What we have experienced collectively as a nation and around the globe in the last 18 months has been severe, severe. We have had families isolated at home where parents need to be a spouse to each other. They're isolated from their colleagues at work. They're now needing to teach their children at home through this last year and be parents and be spouses and be employees. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So the CDC statistics during the last year, understandably and sadly, are that suicide has risen 30%. Yes. It's tragic. And the antidote to grieving is participation. So the work that I do in helping anyone who's grieving a loss 
work with me for eight weeks to learn how to process pain in a very uplifting and step-by-step program is really a gift to them because this is not therapy, Jen. It's an educational program that has therapeutic effects, being able to be calmer, being able to sleep better at life, not showing up at the refrigerator at two in the morning to self-medicate and eat because somebody's so anxious. It is really a gift to my clients because they learn in a step-by-step process how to deal with pain. Absolutely. One of the challenges I think as well in COVID specifically, you know, our medical professionals, there was a 40% burnout rate among our medical professionals before COVID. Yes. That has only escalated. Yes. And as cancer patients, and we have a lot... This past year, we haven't had people going for screenings, you know, and as you say, with suicides being up, the levels of depression are up, anxiety is much higher, you don't have the social connections that we once had, and that can be really difficult. And it can be difficult, I think, to recognize the signs. Is that something you can speak to a little bit? Like, is there... Yes. Are there signs people should be looking for to say, hmm? Yes. Sometimes what's so in our culture is a need to act recovered. In my world, we call it Academy Award recovery. So you have had a recent loss of your precious aunt and someone says to you, hi, Jen, how are you doing? And because you might be in a state of mind where you don't want to talk, you say, I'm fine. I'm fine in my world means feelings inside not expressed or sometimes feelings inside never expressed. And so it's okay. I teach my clients to be authentic. And when somebody says after a loss, how are you doing? It's okay to say, you know what? I'm having a struggle today and uh, not wanting to talk about it right now, but thanks for asking. How are you? Oh no, Leslie, tell me what's going on. Actually, I don't want to talk about it right now, but thanks so much for asking. It's boundaries, making boundaries honestly, socially right for you and telling your truth and not having to lie by omission because society wants you to appear altogether or because your employer has given you maybe three days off to be bereaved and to come back being able to deal well with work. No. I speak now, Jen, on work-life integration, and the integration is important to talk about because employees coming back after the pandemic who've suffered so many losses of isolation need to talk about what really has gone on, and it hasn't been positive. It's been really trying. So looking for someone who says, I'm okay, when you can tell by their facial response and their body language that they're not. Someone who is completely isolating from your presence or conversation, you know that grievers are the greatest isolators on the planet. We all are, each of us. And grievers need social action. We need to grieve and have our sadness be shared with others. That's how we heal. We don't grieve alone. 
And many times we're in a culture where we're told, if you're going to cry, go to your room and cry. It's not healthy. So if someone is perhaps doing that, they're isolating from you in friendship, that's a sign. If they are dealing with perhaps an addiction, and that's magnet, it's, it's, uh, broadened during a pandemic, which has been so clearly the truth during yes. this last year. I have unfortunately talked with many adult clients about the losses of children to an overdose. And it's yeah. tragic. It's absolutely tragic and didn't have to happen. And it happened because whomever that precious loss of human life was, did not have the ability at that time to reach out and say, I'm hurting so badly. I'm thinking of making a final response to my pain. And so that part is really sad. I actually worked, Jen, one day a week on every Monday at a detox center in my local area. And I love working with addicts because many years back, my addiction was food. And that was how I dealt from being raised in an alcoholic family. My father drank and I ate and ate my feelings until I went to recovery programs to learn to talk about what's going on instead of arriving at two in the morning for Jamoka Almond Fudge one more night. And so we each do what we do to self-medicate. And many times that's not healthy. And having a program that teaches us to open our eyes and look at what we do to self-medicate and how to do and deal with our grief differently is really a blessing. Absolutely. Um, you and I had talked a little bit about the challenges of expressing, like you talk about finding feelings um, inside, not or never expressed. And I think that's a really common, it's a common thing. I think it's common in the cancer world as well. There the title of the podcast is Unspoken Cancer Truths because there's so many things we're just not prepared for. And the psychosocial component of cancer, the increased incidence of anxiety and depression. Yes, and yes. those are things that in some cases they're chemical. You know, you had chemo and chemo can cause anxiety, like chemically cause neurological changes that will then cause anxiety. But for someone who maybe never experienced anxiety and now they're experiencing this anxiety and it's hard to put words to the feelings and then it's even harder because those topics feel so taboo. Um, do you have any, any tips or? My uh, initial tip is to first be aware of how anxious one is feeling and then have the openness to be willing and courageous to reach out for help and talk about it. And so on my website, lesliejtolan.com, under resources are some beautiful downloadable complimentary articles about loss that might be very uplifting for any of your listeners. And having cancer is an intangible loss. Yeah. And so the program that I teach that is a evidence-based program that we might address in a moment, it would be such a uplifting experience for someone walking through this kind of loss because 
having someone who's an experienced guide about loss to teach a cancer patient how to process their feelings in a way that's uplifting and generous and compassionate and self-loving would be a gift beyond words. Absolutely. We all are grievers in this lifetime. What we know about this life that we are going to walk through are significant changes of losing people, of walking through change of life locations from one house to another, of having illness be unfortunately brought to our life that was unexpected, and speaking openly about what is not openly discussed easily in our culture is so important. And that's the beauty of the grief recovery program. What I wanted to mention is just that this program of teaching one how to process loss experientially is the only evidence-based program in the United States that does this. And what I mean by that, for your listeners who might be asking, what does she mean by evidence-based, is at the College of Public Health at Kent State University, in the last five years, there were studies done with adults who, when they walked through this program for a few months, had significant changes in their knowledge of, their attitudes about, their beliefs, and ultimately their behaviors about grief, which is our response to loss. And that is such a magnificent reality check about this program because our it is our belief system which governs our behaviors every day. Yes. And if we can talk with someone, a coach who can help us change those belief systems and how we process loss, we are going to have a sweeter life every day. Absolutely. And from that public health perspective, <laughs> right, we're in public health, we're looking at the different foundational theories um, that kind of underlie behavior. So when you take a program and you overlay it and you see all those correlations, that's just so reinforcing to the effectiveness and benefits to a program like that, which is amazing. So thank you so much for sharing that. And I know people can access that through your (laughs) site and we'll have resources under the podcast as well, where people can connect with Leslie and learn more about the program. Um, I have one last question for you um, in terms of one of the things we were talking about. and, And I think there's the emotional components to grief and, and the, that side of it but then there's the kind of the practicality and preparation that kind of precedes a grief event Um, in the case of I have several past guests who are in various places with their you know metastatic cancer yes journey and and I always say that you know, we have we have one guarantee in this life, and it is that someday we will leave it. Yes, and we absolutely. hope that that's you know many years from now, and and we hope that that to be the case. But there's because this is such an area of taboo. Like you may have a will 
to take care of your financial side of things, but are you taking care of your planning for your passing? Like, what are your wishes? Are you conveying those in a, in a way that someone can kind of pick up the blueprint and not have to wonder if they're doing the right things when they're in their grief? Yes. There. I would love to respond to that, Jen. I have in my healing arts uh, history of work, 12 uh, years of hospice services. And what I learned during that decade plus was how to gracefully work with clients about anticipatory grief and end of life issues. And what that allowed me to do that I would love to impart to your listeners is it allowed me 20 years back to come to my now late parents who were healthy and well at the time and sit down with them in Los Angeles and say, mom, dad, this is a sensitive issue we have not discussed together and I would like to open it. Let's talk about how you want to be treated at the end of each of your lives. Do you want to be buried? Do you want to be cremated? If you want to be buried, what do you want written on your stones? Let's talk about how you want to be honored in any kind of celebration of each of your lives at that tender, sensitive time so that whomever is the first one to leave the planet leaves the other with the grace of knowing that all they have to do is make a phone call and everything that you've already pre-decided is in place. And there's no decisions that need to be made or arguments between family members and children about how to honor your precious life that was well-lived in the aftermath of it being a grieving moment for everyone who loves you. And their mouths fell open and they said, I'm the youngest of three, Jen. And they said, your brother, your eldest brother can't talk to us about these sensitive issues. How can you do it? I said, mama, this is what I do in my work every day as a social worker in my work with hospice patients. So I want this to be sensitively taken care of in advance the next week to make it short. They went out and they bought their plots and we sat down and we talked about what they wanted on their stones and we wrote that out. And when mama preceded dad by four years in passing, all he had to do was make a phone call to the mortuary and all that was taken care of in advance. And by the way, listeners, to talk about this as a realistic, practical issue, when we take care of our ultimate passing in life ahead of time, the cost of that is far, far, far less than at the need of the moment. And the mortuary or cremation or whatever you choose to do to honor your loved one will cost your family much more at the time of need than it will pre-need. So this is a practical uh, reality to just discuss and mention as well. And then to know ahead of time in the detail of honoring a loved one, if you want to be having a beautiful funeral and that's your wish, who do you want to carry your coffin? What do you want your coffin to look like? What are the wishes that you have to be honored? Do you want a eulogy? Do you want it written by someone whom you already have chosen to write it? What do you want it to say? All these questions that are heart-touching and from the heart, from yours to your family, are so important and beautiful to discuss ahead of time. So that's my support for this issue, because in all the families I touched in those many, many years of hospice work, 
I had gratitude letters written to editors of newspapers saying, thank you, Leslie, for helping us with this issue so that we could have it be taken care of ahead of time. Yeah, I thank you so much for that. Um, I love that idea of talking about the eulogy as well, because I think that's a piece that can kind of get overlooked. And then I know in one of our family challenges, when my aunt passed, um, my mom had written many eulogies and my aunt had written some eulogies for people in the family. And when we had to write that, it was really challenging because it was somewhat unexpected and and that was definitely challenging. My father-in-law was diagnosed with stage four liver cancer last year. And so sorry. The, the blessing of COVID was that my husband, who had never been able to work from home, was working from home and he was able to go and spend weeks with his family, but yet still be working and kind of monitoring what was going on on the phone calls and helping to get services in place and we were able to spend a lot more time there, um, which was really, really lovely. But one of the things I had said was, oh, this is going to be a touchy situation, but if you, do they have thoughts? Do they have plans? And when he asked, my father-in-law really embraced that. He called the people he wanted to be his pallbearers and Beautiful. he had great conversations with them and in some cases they were people I mean people traveled to do this for him and we were standing in the funeral home before the short calling hours before the service and my mother-in-law smiled and looked at the casket and said I am so glad he picked this out because I never would have chosen that for him and now I know that he had every that it's everything that he wanted and it was a phone call and that was so so important in that time and I was really grateful that they were able to do that I think it really helped to ease my some of the grief as well because there wasn't there was no stress And how great an honor for someone to receive a phone call from a man whom he loved for his life to say, I want you to be honored and I want you to carry me. And that moment chokes me up hearing you say this. It's so beautiful. And what kind of a depth, a beautiful conversation is that to share ahead of time with someone to say that final goodbye? And if someone wants to have a dignified death and that's their choice and they're in the state where that's possible to do and they want to have a roast and toast before that moment, they can say goodbye in a loving way and have a party with all of their friends before they leave the planet. How beautiful is that? If they, if that family has the openness and desire to do that. Everybody has different wishes and those wishes need to be honored. But if they're not talked about, how can we honor them? And if they're not talked about in front of the death, then the family members are at each other's necks many times post that loss because they're grieving and they at the same time need to take care of practical matters. It's very difficult and very challenging. And the two really do not mix well. They don't. (laughs) They don't. 
they don't. So thank you so much for bringing that up, Jen. It's such an important conversation to have, and it's such support, I'm sure, to many of your listeners who have loved ones who they haven't prepared in that way for and with them and might take steps to, to, to be doing that because that's a solution-focused response to the grief that we're all going to have walked through about some of the people we love who are going to pass before we do. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Leslie. This has been such a joy to be here with you and to talk with you today. And I definitely, definitely want to have you back to talk about the six myths of misinformation yes. about loss, because that just sounds really fascinating to me. Yeah, so, so we, we can will talk definitely about get that on the schedule uh, to follow up with that in the future. But thank you so much for being thank here you, today. Thank you, Jen. Thank you so much and blessings on your health and well-being. And I look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you. Thank you. That concludes this week's episode. I would love to connect with you over in my Facebook group, Surviving is Just the Beginning. There you'll find a community of past guests and group members who know what this journey is like. Knowing there are others with similar experiences helps us know that we're not alone. There's a community of people with similar and diverse experiences just waiting to meet you because surviving really is just the beginning. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Thank you.